So for us, like going into it with years of kind of heartbreak and our lives being on hold, it really felt terrifying. But we were sort of like, this is it. This is our mission should we choose to accept it. It's the Foster to Forever podcast. Happy stories of non-traditional families born through Foster to Adopt. I'm your host, Rachel Fulginetti. Hi, everybody. My name is Rachel Fulginetti, and I'm the host and creator of the Foster to Forever podcast. I am a two-time Foster to Adopt mom. I adopted both of my children through the foster care system in L.A., and I learned so much on my journey, and I wanted to share it with anyone who might be seeking this information. I'm a voice actor and an audiobook narrator by trade. That's how I make my living. And so about two years ago, I had been writing a book. I'm also a writer. I was writing a memoir about this experience, and it's a long process to write a book. So I thought to myself, how can I get this information, my story, out there in an easier way? And so I realized, well, I'm a voice actor. I had, in fact, done a podcast years and years ago before I became a voice actor. And so I kind of had that knowledge and experience. So I thought, why don't I just marry these two things together and do a podcast? And so that's how this was born. Not only am I excited to share my story with you, but I'm thrilled to share the stories of other people who have successfully taken this journey. It was important to me to focus on the success stories for this first season because I feel like we hear so much about the the negatives and the horror stories of things that happened in foster care. And we don't hear enough about like the really awesome stories and the beautiful, beautiful families that can be created in this way. And I'll be the first one to tell you it's not the easiest road to creating a family, that is for sure. But it's such a beautiful and worthwhile thing to do, regardless of how it turns out. So I'll share my story with you on this first episode. And then in the subsequent episodes, we will talk to other people uh, from a vast array of different walks of life that have taken this journey successfully. So my story is... I went out to L.A. from New York. I'm originally from upstate New York. And I went out there in my early 30s to pursue acting. I had been doing it in New York City for 10 years. And uh, I thought it was finally time to, to go out to L.A. And I did that. And I ended up meeting the man who would become my husband 30 days after I moved out there. So that was an amazing, happy accident. So we we got together and I decided uh, with his help that I was not happy pursuing acting any longer. And uh, so I I tried to decide, like, what else can I do? And the two of us, both of us, he had been a full time musician and I was a full time actor. And we both had career changes early on. Um, we got married about a year after we got together. And so we started focusing on our careers and on building different careers for ourselves so needless to say, the first bunch of years that we were married, we were focusing on our careers and we were having a great time and doing all the things. And so it wasn't until I really was starting to approach 40 
that I was like, hmm, I should probably, if we're going to like start a family, we should probably do that sometime soon. It was one of those things where I had never really, I was never the kind of person who like I had to have kids and I thought about it and I named them. I, I was not like that. I was living in the moment. I was happy. I was thrilled to have a career. I'd worked so hard to um, build a career and it was like banging my head against a wall. And then when I found voiceover and audiobooks, it was like all of a sudden I felt like I had become a doctor. Like I had just started making money and able to support myself. So I was thrilled about that. And I realized that having a child would kind of, it would kind of stop that flow for a while. So I was putting it off and I was kind of like, yeah, let's just see what happens. And so we did that thing where we're like, let's just see what happens for like quite a while and nothing happened. Um, So then I started really approaching 40 and then I was starting to get nervous started looking into fertility doctors and this kind of thing. And without going through the whole blow-by-blow, it ended up I had what was called unexplained infertility, which is still makes me laugh. There was never any explanation. It was just unexplained infertility. And so we weren't able to have children. Um, Ironically, I ended up stopping doing all of my fertility treatments and everything. I did acupuncture and... um, you know, a couple other like natural things. And I did end up getting pregnant, but we lost that pregnancy. Long story short, uh, we went through a bunch of miscarriages. I ended up losing my fallopian tubes. And then it was like, okay, this is, we definitely are not going to have children. And at this point, it became sort of like, um, <laughs> I guess it was like, because I we couldn't do it. I became really obsessed with doing it. But it also made me question, like, whether we needed to have kids or am I just programmed to think that I want to have kids? And so we explored being child-free. And uh, at the end of the day, it it just, it felt like, for me, I'm somebody who loves experience. And so I felt like if I, if we passed on having children, there would be this humongous part of life that I would never know. Um, which is being a parent. And uh, I had heard from everybody under the sun, like, it's the best thing you'll ever do. It's the hardest job, but the best job. And I felt compelled to like, we need that experience. I want that experience. And I thought about like, you know, right now, um, we're in our 40s. Right now, it's not so bad not having kids. But like, I couldn't imagine like, 10 years down the line, not having kids, it started to feel really lonely to me. I'm from a big Italian family, and I thought about holidays, and it just seemed really um, sad to me personally. Uh, I think it's a choice. I think everybody makes their own choice, and that's fine. But for me, I really was feeling like, no, I, I want this this other part of life. And so we decided to look into other ways to build our family. And at that point, we were in a boatload of debt. We had done IVF twice and we were unsuccessful. We had bought our first home and put like every cent that we had into the home. And so we had very little money. And so we looked into going through a lawyer, which people said was like, oh, that's like the surest bet and like the easiest way is to go through a lawyer. Or even like I talked to one couple of friends of mine who had done a surrogate And then, but that was like $100,000 and up. And so we were like, okay, that's not going to happen. Then we looked into a lawyer that was like $60,000 and up. Um, That's not going to happen. 
uh, then we looked at open adoption. And I was actually really um, drawn to open adoption. Open adoption is where you set up a profile and then um, the adoption agency finds young women who are pregnant and want to give up their child for adoption. And they sort of select you based on your profile and all this kind of stuff. And I, I thought that was cool because I, I like the idea of it being really open and you could maintain a relationship with the birth mom and all that kind of stuff. And I really like that vibe. But at the end of the day, that seemed really expensive, too, because you end up having to sort of pay the expenses for the for the birth mom, usually through the whole pregnancy or wherever you get connected, um, maybe just the last trimester. But it can be expensive. And then there's no guarantees, right? So the one thing that we had heard about, thought about, didn't know too much about was fostering to adopt. And I felt really frustrated when when this was happening. There wasn't that much information on this fostering to adopt thing. And I remember one day I was really, really like, okay, time is ticking. This is taking too long. My life is on hold. I want to get this going. And I was online and I was trying to find information about it. And it didn't make any sense to me. Like, I didn't understand how to just, like, what are the steps? How am I supposed to do this? And so I found this phone number that said something about fostering to adopt. And I called the number and this person answered, Extraordinary Families, may I help you? And I was like, yeah, um, I'm calling to find out, like, how to foster to adopt. And the guy was like, okay, um, well, would you like to come in for an orientation? And I was like, well, no, I mean, like, can you just tell me, like, how do I do this? Like, I just need to know. And I, like, almost had, like, a breakdown on the phone with this guy. And it turns out he was very, very nice to me and kind of stopped me, talked me through it, talked me off the ledge. So he said, okay, the first step is, you know, you can do it through the county, just contact the county directly, but I don't recommend that. I recommend that you come through an agency, and this is an agency, so you're welcome to attend an orientation and find out. And he was like, P.S., that's how I adopted my son. And, um, you know, he's 19 now, but I got him when he was an infant. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And so um, that's what we did. So um, we ended up going to the orientation. We went through the classes. There's like a five or six weeks of classes that you have to do. It's all very terrifying, um, quite honestly, because part of what they're doing is kind of they're trying to weed out people who aren't serious about this. It's a really big undertaking. I should probably say for those who aren't familiar, so fostering to adopt means that you are taking in a child who has been separated from their biological family for any number of reasons having to do with their safety and um, so you are a foster family for them. You are, um, they call it now a resource family. And so you are helping. And basically the goal of fostering to adopt or fostering is to reunite the birth family. That is reunification is always the goal until that's no longer possible, until the parental rights have been terminated. So for us, like going into it with years of kind of heartbreak and our lives being on hold, and it really felt terrifying. But we were sort of like, this is this is it. This is our mission. Should we choose to accept it? This is where we're at. This is what makes sense financially. And also, like, 
I kept on having this feeling like, what if our child is already here? You know, and like, I knew that we were like meant to have a family at that point. Like, I just felt like I know there's a child or children that are meant to be in our family. We just have to find them. And so we started the foster to adopt process. We got certified as a foster family, and that's a whole process that you go through. And then we started accepting phone calls. The first five times I was called, I declined for one reason or another. There was, I was traveling, then I was coming back, then I had gotten really sick and I wasn't able to do it. Uh, all, there's all series of, of circumstances that made it so that we couldn't accept a placement until um, one day I was driving to an audition and uh, I get a phone call from the foster family agency and I pull over onto the side of the road and take the call and they start describing, uh, they, they only have, they give you whatever information they know. So they only know a little bit of information. Um, and they said that we have a baby girl and, you know, start rattling off a few details. And all of a sudden I thought, I think this is a yes. I think this is a yes for me. And I have to backtrack and say, I was freaked out um, the whole time. I was afraid to say yes to the wrong placement or say no to the wrong place. You know, I I really wanted to connect with that child. And I had gone to see a healer person, and she had given me the advice, when you get the phone call, because there's only one person designated to get the phone call, when you get the phone call, put your hand over your heart and just close your eyes. And if it's a yes, say yes. If it's not a yes, don't say yes. So five times previously, I had put my hand over my heart when I got the phone call and all those circumstances had been happening. And I just knew I was like, that's not a yes. And this time it felt I felt a little something. I felt like this might be a yes. And so I begged them, can I please call my husband, please, and just find out. They don't like to do that because it's a time thing. This child needs a home and they don't want to go back and forth and have you be like, oh, actually, he said no. Oh, wait, he changed his mind or I couldn't get a hold of him. So you have to give the answer right then and there. He said, "Okay, I'll give you two minutes. Call and call me right back. I called Joe, my husband. He answers on the first call and uh, I start telling him what I was just told. And he was like, yes, it's a yes. And I was like, it is, right? He's like, yes. So I go into the audition. Who knows what I did in the audition? (laughs) I was so like my head was in a different place. Um, I come out. I'm driving home. I'm like, oh, my God, we have to go to Target. We have to get a, you know, a car seat. We have to get this and that because we had nothing. We didn't know if the child was going to be zero to four. That was the, you can put in your age range of like what you're interested in getting calls about. So, um, This happened to be a three-week-old baby, and so we didn't have anything. So we start talking about, oh, we're going to go to Target. I get a phone call from the agency, and they say, I'm so sorry. It turns out um, this baby is medically fragile, and you're not certified as a medically fragile household, so we can't give the baby to you. And I was like, oh, really? I thought for sure. And he was like, well, at least you practiced saying yes. And I was like, Okay. So I call back. I'm like, sorry, it's not going to happen, honey. That was on a Friday. We go through the weekend. The next Monday, I'm in my agency, my voiceover agency. I'm in the lobby. And for, for some reason that day, everybody's talking about babies. There is There are two pregnant women in the lobby. 
There's another woman who brought her new baby, like maybe like three-month-old baby there. Um, so everybody's talking about babies. And certain point in the conversation, one of the only guys in the room looks over at me and he goes, what about you, Rachel? Do you have any kids at home? And I was like, well, funny thing. I almost had a child. Um, I would have had it. but And I told them the story about what had happened on Friday. And no sooner do I finish telling the story than I look down at my phone and it's the agency calling. So I'm like, oh, excuse me. This is the agency calling right now, the foster family agency. Pick up the phone and the guy's like, um, remember that baby that we called you about on Friday? I was like, yes. He's like, well, um, they reassessed her over the weekend and it turns out she's not medically fragile. So if you still want her, like, do you still want her? And I was like, yes. Oh, my God. So I called Joe, my husband. He picks up. He's like, you got to tell your agent right away. So I go running into my agent's office. I'm like, we're having a baby. Um, he was super cool. Everyone was supportive. Uh, we get out. We do the target thing. We get the car seat. We get all the stuff. I'm freaking out the whole night. We're we're getting the information. They were like, okay, we'll call you the next morning and tell you the information about like how this is going to go, the drop off, what what's going to happen, how the child is going to get to you. And I couldn't sleep at all that night. I was just a nervous wreck. My life is about to change overnight. I'm about to have a baby in the house and we don't know what's going to happen and all of this stuff. Stay up the whole night. And, and one of the things I was freaking out about was I really wanted to pick her up at the hospital. Like, I just felt like I wanted that experience. I had seen other people who were adopting or fostering to adopt that got to have that experience of being in the hospital. And I really wanted that so badly. And I was really gutted that they were saying that they were going to drop the baby off to us. I just wanted that. I wanted us to be the first people that took her out into the world. So the social worker calls the next morning and he's giving us all the information. And first of all, they kept saying, it's going to be delayed. It's going to be delayed because the county social worker can't get there to drop her off, you know, until later in the afternoon. And finally, I just said, um, would it help if we went to pick her up? And they were like, uh, yeah, what, you would want to do that? And we were like, um, yeah, that would be great. Okay, great. So that solved that problem. So I was happy about that. So they're giving us the information on where to go to pick this child up. and. At the end of the conversation, I said, oh, I totally forgot. Um, does she come with a name? Now, sidebar, I have to go back. Because when I had been pregnant back in 2012, we had made a list of names. And the top name, if it was a girl, was Isabella Rose. We chose Isabella because we both love that name. It's a great Italian name. Um, Rose was... Um, Joe's mom's name and Rosemary and uh, my grandmother's favorite flower was Rose. And it just felt like it went together really well. And we love that name. We're like, if if it's a girl, that's going to be our name is Isabella Rose. So when I said, does she have a name? The social worker was looking through the paperwork and he's silent for a minute. And all of a sudden he, he's looking and he goes, um, yeah, her name is uh, Isabella, Isabella Rose. And we were like, what? I freaked out. I just started crying hysterically and screaming. And I was like, what are you talking about? What, what, what? And he was like, what's the matter? And I, I told him 
you know, that that was the story. And so after I finished crying, I started laughing hysterically. And I turned to Joe and I said, don't you see? Like, he's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is our child. Like, I kept asking and asking and asking for a sign, like, please, God, let it be obvious that this is our child. I don't want to miss our child. I want to just make that connection with the kid who's supposed to join our family. So when I heard her name, I knew for sure that this was our child. So what followed was two and a half years of fostering her until we were able to finally adopt her. And the experience itself was in many ways much easier than a lot of people's experiences. We did not do um, any visitations with the birth family. They were out of the picture, so to speak. They were homeless and not reachable. We did have a little bit of contact with the biological father, but um, nothing. There were never any visits or anything like that. And so in many ways, our experience was easy. But the thing that was difficult about it was um, all of the waiting and just waiting for two and a half years and being afraid that somebody was going to come at the last minute and, you know, some kind of a relative or something would come out of the woodwork and and take her away. And that was really frightening and, and terrifying. So by the time we finished that experience, I knew for sure that I wanted to, at this point, help other people who might be in a similar situation because I did not ever feel like I had anyone to talk to through this whole thing. And everything from infertility to this was sort of taboo and off limits at the time. People were not talking about this. And I suffered a lot in silence and with my few good friends who, thank God, I had them to support me. Um, And that's when I started writing that book because I was like, I want to share this experience and what happened. We had thought about having another child, um, but we were so exhausted after two and a half years of that that we needed at least uh, a year, we were saying. And then that year turned into two years. And then the pandemic hit. We were thinking of getting out of L.A. We had gone on a trip up to Sacramento from L.A. to go check out Sacramento and see if that would be a good place for us to go. Weren't feeling it. We're driving back and agreeing. Joe and I were both agreeing. I don't feel like we're done with L.A. yet. I don't know what it is. I just feel like we're not done with it. This was July of 2021. That was on a weekend. On Monday, I'm out in my booth recording an audiobook. I come in on my lunch break. Joe's inside. He was working from home at this point because of the pandemic as well. And so I look down at my phone and there's a message, safe surrender baby boy available born 7-10-21, which it was two days ago. Are you interested? And when I saw that, I freaked out. Sidebar, we had gotten recertified to foster to adopt. We had let it lapse when we were taking our break. And then we had gotten recertified in January of that year. And we were kind of thinking, if it doesn't happen by the summer, then we're probably just going to let this go and be a one and done family. But let's just get recertified and let's see what happens. And we did not get any calls and so, um, yeah, we were we were thinking like, oh, I guess this isn't going to happen. Cut to we get that text message. And all of a sudden I just freaked out because born 7-10-21, that is Joe's birthday. So, again, I had been looking for a sign. I had been requesting of God, like, please show me a sign when and if this other child that's meant to join our family comes. 
And that to me was such a clear cut sign um, that we ended up saying yes. And that's how we got our son, Dominic. And even though he was a safe surrender, and for those of you who don't know what that is, a safe surrender is when the birth mother willingly um, gives up the child at birth. And so she surrenders that child. And they have 15 days to change their mind. And then legally, it's supposed to be after that, like it's supposed to be an adoption case. We were told that the judge would hear the birth mom's case at any point. So it wasn't like a done deal necessarily. But anyway, it was a it was a less harrowing process with him because there was no one really unless she reappeared and she wouldn't have known where we even were. There was no fear of him being taken away. It still took nearly two years to finalize that adoption. So anyway, that's my story. We finalized this past year in um, April of 23. And that's when I had the idea, like I had already had the idea for this podcast, but that's when I was like, okay, we got to just do the podcast. Like I got to do the podcast. I'm ready. I can do this. And recorded, found all the people, recorded all the interviews. And then I moved. We did a whole relocation and moved um, across the country. Now it is the beginning of 2024. And I feel incredibly energized to put this out there and give it to uh, whoever might benefit from hearing these stories. So that is my story. And um, I hope you will join us for the rest of the season. The very next episode is going to be um, my husband. (laughs) So I'm going to talk to Joe and we're going to get his side of the story. And I really hope you guys tune in. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I'll catch you next time. This has been the Foster to Forever podcast. Happy stories of non-traditional families born through Foster to Adopt. Produced by Aquarius Rising. Edited by Jason Cerubi at Split Rock Studios. Original music composed by Joe Fulginetti. For more information or to stay in touch, visit fromfostertoforever.com. That's from foster, the number two, forever.com. And stay connected with us on Instagram at foster to forever podcast that's foster the number two forever podcast we'll see you next time